Morning. We, uh, I'm breaking protocol a little bit with this, with today. We, we've been trying as preachers to um, only live in the chapter that we're preaching that week. So to not tell too much about what's coming, because we're trying to live it the way you're probably experiencing it. Now, we're, you're, most of you are familiar with this story, and we're familiar with it. And before we picked the, the series, we read all the way through it once, but trying to live in each. And so you might have noticed that some of my um, estimations of how much time might have passed, like two years into the famine, but I thought it was probably halfway through, that kind of thing. Uh, it's because we're not reading ahead, but today we're going to be in 46 and the first part of 47 because it's all about Jacob and Jacob, and then it switches back to Joseph and his policies. So we're going to be in 46. We'll skip some of the, 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 the segment or the section that lists off all the names and the sons and that kind of thing. I encourage you to read those, to get a good Bible dictionary, to look up, you know, what, uh, what some of those names mean, uh, who those kids are, and how God uses their lineage on and on and on throughout history. But um, I want to greet those that are joining us online via live stream. Um, if, if you're local and you're just sick and you couldn't get here, whatever, awesome. I'm glad we can provide this. But if you're local, uh, I mean, in the region, 20, 30 miles away, any, anywhere inside of that, and you're just checking us out, we, it's great that we can do this, but we would love to meet you face to face. So if you do show up some Sunday morning, um, anyone that you see, Reach out a hand, give me your name, and let, let us know you've been joining us via live stream, and we'd love to show you around and show you how inconvenient it is to find a bathroom around here. So, um, I'm gonna, uh, Kurt just prayed, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna let him cover that. I'm not gonna give you too much, uh, reminder for those of you who are just here for the first time today. Uh, just 30 seconds. This, we've been talking about, I encourage you to go back and read the last eight, nine, ten chapters um, of Genesis. Because there's some great stuff. God is working through this family, and he's still working through this family. Abraham, Isaac, Joseph, or Jacob, and Joseph. Um, Jacob has 12 kids. Uh, Joseph was his second youngest, but he was his favorite. Brothers hated him for it. We're going to kill him, sold him into slavery. Uh, he goes off to, in, into slavery. He spends probably six, seven years in slavery, gets in trouble with the captain of the guard's wife, something he didn't do, but he got accused of it. He's imprisoned. Uh, he's in prison for six, seven years, uh, interprets some dreams, doesn't help him. Then Pharaoh has some dreams. Pharaoh's the king of the area. Uh, Joseph gets to interpret those dreams. Then over this course of this decade plus, of suffering, Joseph is made second in command in all of Egypt to save the world from the famine uh, that is coming. There were, there were going to be years of plenty, then years of famine, and God, through all this suffering, all this hurt, all this unknown stuff, set Joseph up to be a man who could do God's provisional care for the earth and save the known world. Now, that's a great story. And if you tell it in a 45 seconds to a minute and a half, what they intended for evil, selling their brother into slavery, God intended for good, we all feel better and we go away. But it took decades. And Joseph's suffering was real. And Jacob's suffering was real. And God just assures us through this story about several things. But one of them is when you trust God and you're in pain, God will not waste your pain. You might not know the purpose, but you can be sure through the scriptures that God will not waste 
your pain. He will not waste your suffering. It will not be for naught. No one who lives in Christ will die having accomplished nothing for the kingdom. You can be assured of that. So what we found out, Jacob's brother or Joseph's brothers came, didn't know it was him. He knew it was them, tested them. They went away. They came back again, tested them again. They went away, came back. Third time they go off to bring Joseph's dad, Jacob. This is the story of Jacob showing up, Jacob and the brothers. Now, just so that you know, if you're not familiar with the, the change of names, Israel is the name of a guy. Jacob is the name of a guy, same guy. And there's a reason in this particular passage that those names are used interchangeably. We'll talk about that reason. So Jacob, who hasn't seen Joseph in decades, finally shows up to Egypt. It goes like this, but there's a visit with God first. So it starts like this. So Israel, that's Jacob, set out uh, with all that was his. And when he reached Beersheba, he offered sacrifices to the God of his father, Isaac. Now, God did visit Isaac in Beersheba, and they had a covenant relationship that was kind of established there. But the other thing that you should know is that Jacob, who Abram was promised the land of Canaan, Isaac was promised the land of Canaan, Jacob actually got to inhabit the land of Canaan, and now Jacob is leaving the land of Canaan to go to Egypt. And the kind of the border, the last place that would be considered home or the land of Canaan is Beersheba. So before Jacob leaves his homeland, and he doesn't know how long, if he knew, if he knows the stories of God interacting with Abram from Genesis 15, which we'll go back to today, he would know that he's not coming back anytime soon. But he probably doesn't know. But at that last moment, as he's leaving the place that God provides, the place that God is protector, the place that God has promised, he wants to worship God just before he leaves into this foreign land where he's not sure if God has ultimate control. And God spoke to Israel in a vision at night and said, Jacob, Jacob. And just so you know, if God ever says, Trent, Kurt, whatever, whatever name, this is how you respond. Here I am. You don't go, what's up? You, you, you don't. I'm, I, maybe you do, but I'm thinking that if God himself speaks to you, you're not going to be going, bring it on. You, ah. This is reminiscent of when God spoke to Abraham and he said, Abraham, Abraham, yes, my Lord, here I am. Take your son Isaac, whom you love, to a place that I'll tell you about, and I want you to slaughter him there for me. What? Um, this, is, this is that kind of, so he comes to Jacob. He says, Jacob, Jacob. But why does he ask Jacob? Why does he call him Jacob? He named him Israel. You remember the story? I think it's Genesis 32 when, when uh, God, Jacob, Jacob's leaving. He had, he had, had ended up with two, two different wives. He, his, his uncle tricked him into the wrong wife. And then so seven, another seven years. And he got the other one and he grew into a kind of, quite a, a, a big people group. And God told him to go back to Canaan and he's going back and then he finds out his brother Esau who wants to kill him is coming to kill him. So Jacob in his full character of who he was, he he decides to divide up his family and livestock, send half of them off so if Esau kills him, he can get he can take his own skin and go away. But so in, at this night when he's divided up his people, he's at the ford of the Javik. I know that's a real familiar term for you. Uh, but and he, and he ends up wrestling with God all night. Now, I love this story, and we won't go into too much of it, but I'm pretty sure that wrestling with God is like a 400-pound dad wrestling with a two-year-old. 
Jacob's exhausted after, after wrestling with God all night long. And, and God says, and I don't know why, the sun's coming up, let me go. And Jacob, I'm not letting you go till you bless me. That's how I've heard the sermons. I'm thinking it's more like, I'm not letting you go till you, till you bless me. And God says to him something. He goes, what's your name? God knows what his name is. He's God. But Jacob at that moment has to confess that his name and his character are the same. I'm, a, I'm one who takes what isn't mine. I'm a schemer. I'm a deceiver. I'm a sinner. And now that Jacob deals with God as who Jacob really is instead of who Jacob's trying to be, God changes him. And he says, your, your name is no longer Jacob. It's now Israel. Because you have struggled with man and with God and have not been overcome from this day forward. So why does God call him Jacob when he's actually named him Israel? He's not trying to say, remember you're that sinner. He's trying to say, I've been faithful. You see all that you've become, everything that's happened. I'm reminding you of who you were. And I'm also reminding you of who I am in you. So before he heads off to a place, and then God does something here that we would read right by, and I would love to say I discovered it. It popped into my mind on my own. It was after just about a week of study, and I read someone else. And I'm like, how did I not see that? I want you to see that something changes with God now versus any other time so far in the Bible. Jacob, Jacob, here I am. I am God, the God of your father. He's reminding him that I'm a covenant God, that I'm not done here. This is, this is all part of the plan. Don't be afraid to go down to Egypt, for I will make you into a great nation there. I will go down to Egypt with you, and I will surely bring you back again. And Joseph, and Joseph's own hand will close your eyes. So when, when you die, your, your, your son, who you think is dead, or thought was dead, he's going to be with you when you die. But what God says here is different than he said anywhere else. When he, when he called Jacob to come into Canaan, he said, I will watch over you. Like, like God's hand is stretched out like a portico. And, and as he travels God's sovereignty coming from Canaan, he, he's, he's kind of carrying him here. But he says, now, when you leave your home, I leave with you. I am packing up and I'm going to go with you. This is very similar to John chapter 1, verse 14. The word became flesh and pitched his tent next door. He dwelt among us. This is the time when God changes from being the God who is distant and, and in, the, in the minds of the people where, where I, if you're with me, I will cover you. But when you walk away, you're kind of on your own. This is, they're going to go into Egypt and 400 years later, God's going to bring them out and he's going to appear to them on a mountain. And then instead of staying on the mountain where they always have to come, he comes down and he lives with them in smoke or cloud and fire, depending on the time of day. God from this point forward is with his people, not just absent in a way that they have to approach him, but he lives with them. He walks with them. He goes before them. He goes alongside of them. He comes after them. God is making a promise right here to Abraham or to, to Jacob. Don't be afraid because I, am with you. Not just that I'm overlooking and I'm overseeing and I'm going to be in control. I'm actually walking with you. I'm going to Egypt with you. Then Jacob left Beersheba and Israel's sons took their father Jacob and their, uh, and their children and their wives in the carts that Pharaoh had sent to transport him. They also took with them their livestock and their possessions that they had acquired in Canaan. And Jacob and all his offspring went to Egypt. He took with him to Egypt his sons and grandsons and his daughters and granddaughters and all his offspring. And then there's this interaction with all the different names and the sons and their kids and all that kind of stuff. And then it goes on and it says, all those who went to Egypt uh, with Jacob 
those who were his direct descendants, not counting his son's wives, numbered 66 persons. With the two sons uh, who had been born to Joseph in Egypt, the members of Jacob's family, which went to Egypt, were 70 in all. That's a significant number. We'll, we'll, that some other time we'll get to that. But now Jacob sent Judah. Now Judah is the new leader in the family that other than Joseph. He's not the oldest Reuben who it should be, but Judah's the one that, that offered himself in place of Benjamin. Remember when he said, take me, not him. I don't want, my, I don't want to cause my dad grief. So Jacob took Judah uh, and said, go ahead and, and to... He sent him ahead to Joseph to get directions to get to Goshen. And when they arrived in the region of Goshen, Joseph had his chariot made ready and he went to Goshen to meet his father, uh, Israel. As soon as Joseph appeared before him, he threw his arms around his father and they wept for a long time. After that got done, Israel said to Joseph, now I'm ready to die since I have seen for myself that you're still alive. Then Joseph said to his brothers and to his father's household, I will go up to speak to Pharaoh and I will, and, and will say to him, my brothers and my father's household who were living in the land of Canaan have, have come to me. The men are shepherds, they tend livestock, and they have brought along their flocks and herds and everything they own. When Pharaoh calls you in and asks, what is your occupation? You should answer, your servants have tended livestock from their boyhood on, just as their fathers did. Then you will be allowed to settle in the region of Goshen, for all shepherds are detestable to the Egyptians. That's kind of weird. What does anyone have against shepherds? There's a lot of speculation. I can tell you that the Egyptians in either cuneiform tablets or hieroglyph uh, didn't spend a lot of time talking about their ethnic biases. If you had to do this or stamp it in clay and then bake the clay, you, in, in, in every, every picture, every word was a picture and could mean 500 different things. Um, you're not going to spend a whole lot of time talking about um, your, big, your bigotries. Why did they hate? I don't know, but Joseph knew. And you remember when Joseph, when his brothers had come back the last time and Benjamin was there and they all sat down and, and to eat together and um, the Hebrew boys all were here and then Joseph was here and the Egyptians ate over here because they would not, the Egyptians would not eat with Hebrews. They also don't like shepherds. Why? I don't know, but Joseph does. So Joseph's, he's, he's smart. It's kind of like in the announcements earlier when it said uh, with the Thrive Marriage Conference, Pastor Greg thinks that this is one you shouldn't miss. We all know that if Kurt said that, or I said that, or, or, or Doug said that, it wouldn't matter. But Greg, you know, Greg knows, he knows what's going on. He will never use his power for evil. But, it, you know, that, that's kind of a smart move to say, Pastor Greg thinks this is worth doing. Oh, okay. Joseph knows Pharaoh. And he also knows that Pharaoh hasn't been thinking about this. This is probably 20 to, uh, 20 to 40 days since he, he, he sent them off and they have to gather everything up and bring the kids back and all that kind of thing. Pharaoh hasn't been thinking he doesn't have a Twitter feed. Um, he doesn't have, it, everything's on cuneiform and by messenger. He's got a world to run. He's not thinking, oh yeah, Joseph's family's coming and where do I put them? But here's the thing, God's providential care, and we'll get back to it even more in a minute, but God's providential care, the, of all the people in all of Egypt, which we'll find out next, next week when Joseph and his policies, what ends up happening is that every piece of property in the known world becomes the property of Pharaoh. No one owns land. No one owns land. No one, and every single person becomes the property of Pharaoh as well. No one is independent except for one weird kind of strange sect of priests and the Israelites, because they're detestable. 
and they're put in a specific spot where they're going to grow into something bigger. Joseph knows, and he tells his son, he prepares them for, for bearing witness before the king. And he says, tell them this, which it's true, but don't stray. Joseph went on and told Pharaoh, my father and my brothers and their flocks and herds and everything they own came, uh, came here from the land of Canaan and are now in Goshen. He chose five of his brothers and presented them before Pharaoh. Pharaoh asked the brothers, what's your occupation? The other reason for saying they're shepherds, because those are detestable, is our dads did this, we do this, we're not good for anything else which is going to go really well for about 100 years. Your servants are shepherds, they replied to Pharaoh, just as our fathers were. And they also said to him, we have come to live here a while. They have no idea it's 400 years. We have come to live here a while because the famine is severe in Canaan and your servants' flocks have no pasture. So now please let your servants settle in Goshen. Pharaoh said to Joseph, your father and your brothers have come to you and the land of Egypt is before you. Settle your father and your brothers in the best part of the land. Uh, see them, uh, let them live in Goshen. And if you know any among them with special ability, put them in charge of my own livestock. And then Joseph brought his father Jacob in and presented him before Pharaoh. And after, now there's something huge right here. I just want, just want to tell you, you probably won't notice it. Not saying that, that negative of you. Again, it's probably, you're a lot smarter than I am. It took me a while to see this. He brought him before Pharaoh. And after Jacob blessed Pharaoh, Pharaoh asked him, how old are you? I love this response because this is how I answer when everyone asks me my age. Uh, the years of my pilgrimage are 130 that's not weird to anybody. All right. Um, that's three sermons now I've done this and no one thought it was funny. I was just trying. I'm just trying. My years have been few and difficult and they do not equal the years of the pilgrimage of my fathers. Then Jacob blessed Pharaoh and went out from his presence. So Joseph settled his father and his brothers in Egypt and gave them property in the, in the best part of the land, the district of Ramesses, which is just the, the, the Egyptian name for Goshen. Um, uh, as Pharaoh directed, Joseph also provided his father and his brothers and all his father's household with food according to the number of their children. Now, here we go. I'm going to take off and go a little bit crazy here. There's so much good stuff going on here. A couple of things you need to know. If you do something to God's people that's good, God will do good things to you. This is a 4,000-year-old pact God has had with his people. If you curse God's people or do something negative with God's people, God is going to do negative things to you. And God is a God of covenant. God is a, he has a covenant relationship with Abram, who becomes Abraham, with his son Isaac, with his son Jacob, with his son Joseph. Jacob is still the carrier of this covenant. And God has brought Jacob to Egypt and put him before the man who thinks he's God, Pharaoh. And Jacob twice in his meeting, this simple little meeting, the uh, pilgrimage, the, the, the journey of my pilgrimage has been short, 130 years, which I don't know how that's short, but nevertheless. But it says that he blessed Pharaoh and then he blessed Pharaoh. If Pharaoh is not blessed, the kingdom of Egypt will fall apart because God speaks through his covenant. And when Jacob, who is now the bearer, he is the patriarch of all the plan of God, that God has just reassured him and said to him that I have been working through Abraham, your grandfather, through your father. I'm now working through you. I'm not just sending you with my protection. I'm going with you. And when you speak on my behalf to Pharaoh, you let him know the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face shine. And I don't know if that's the blessing he gave, but I guarantee you, folks, 
And I'm going to go back to the covenant that, he, that God gave to Abraham. If you say bad things, if you do bad things to God's people, bad things will happen to you. This is not that different than when, when, when they went into, years later, when they go into Babylon into captivity. And God says, if you, if you prosper there, they will prosper. If you bless them, they will be blessed. If you curse them, though, they will be cursed. Jesus even says to Peter, what you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. What you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. If you forgive your brother when he sins against you, I will forgive them. But if you don't, he won't. This is how it works. Why? Don't know. But I can promise you this, the way that the, the Israelites, the Hebrew people, Israel, the way they were able to go from 70 to hundreds of thousands in 400 years is because God in his providential care, God in his, in his grace and in his mercy saved them from where they were born to die, brought them into Egypt, came with them into Egypt, and he's putting them in the fertile valley of the Nile where they will grow into hundreds of thousands of people. And for at least a hundred years, they prosper. Now, yeah, it's going to get ugly, but we're told back in, in, in Genesis chapter 15, we're told that God knew that this was going to happen. He told Abram when he sat down and gave him this weird, strange blood covenant, one of my favorite passages in the whole scripture. But he, he's having this interaction with Abram who becomes Abraham. And it says this, know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a country, not their own. And they will be enslaved and mistreated 400 years. But I will punish the nation that they serve as slaves. And afterwards, they will come out with great possessions. You, however, will go uh, to your fathers uh, in peace at a ripe old age. And then in the fourth generation, that's 400 years in biblical time, fourth generation, your descendants will come back here, Canaan. And the sin of the Amorites, or for the sin of the Amorites is not yet reached full measure. So God is doing something new that he told this family that he has this covenant relationship with he, he, he told them about 200 years prior. He says, there's going to come a day that your, your descendants will be as numerous as the stars in the sky, the sand on the seashore. But there's going to be 400 years that you're going to be mistreated. That begins in Genesis chapter 46. God's playing the long game. And God's desire is the same as it was the day that Adam broke the fruit off a living tree, took a bite, and brought death to humanity is the day that God decided that there will come a day when the second Adam is going to be hung on a dead tree and he's going to bring life to humanity. He's going to go from death to life. He's going to go from darkness to light. He's going to go from lost to found. He's going to go from, from, from in trouble to being rescued. And this is just another piece, another way that God is showing. Joseph and Jesus, there's so much in common. Jacob and Jesus, there's so much in common. Isaac and Jesus, there's so much in common. Abram and Jesus, there's so much in common because God's telling the same story. What was and is wrong, I'm going to bring into something new and make right. And God's providential care, God's desire is that you and I not be afraid because he's going with us. Not only does he go with us, he goes in us. He no longer lives in the Holy of Holies. He no longer lives in a cloud or fire. He no longer lives in a temple made of brick and mortar. He lives in a heart between two lungs, flesh. 
You are never alone. And no matter how much pain, no matter how long you suffer like Joseph did for decades, no matter how long you're, you're worried about one of your offspring, one of your children, or one of your, your, the history of your family like Jacob did, he thought his son was dead. No matter how long that takes, God will not waste your pain. He will not, he will not let it happen in vain. You might not ever know exactly what, why, or how, but I promise you because God has been faithful from the beginning, he's doing the same thing new that he was doing then. He will not waste it. He will accomplish some greater purpose because you were faithful, because you said, yes, Lord, because when he said, I want you to pick up and go, whether that's next door or whether that's around the world, and you said, yes, Lord, he is playing the long game. I don't know what you think of how things went on Tuesday. It, honestly, it, now look, I'm a, I'm a political junkie. I, my wife can attest, I watch this stuff, I, and I talk back to the TV, sometimes with Christian word, no, I'm just kidding. Um, but, I, but what's changed over the last five to six, seven years is I don't get scared anymore. Because God says, don't be afraid. Because there's not one elected official that's not there that God did not allow. There's not one thing that's ever happened to you, not one betrayal that's ever happened to you that God did not ordain. There's not one painful experience in your life. There's not one diagnosis. There's not one wayward child. There's not one anything in all of your life. There's not one period of time where you did not have a paycheck that God is going to allow to go to waste. There's not one thing that happens in any of us that God does not allow. And we have this mindset that what about right now? What about right now? What about right now? God is playing a thousand year, two thousand year, four thousand year plan. His concern is not in my life right now because I'm, I'm a man. I, I'm going to wither away in the blink of an eye. But God sees time. He sees 500 years from now today and Joseph as if it's right now. And God is playing the long game. God wants to redeem humanity. He wants to buy back all who are lost to sin. All. And he asks his people, don't be afraid. I'm going with you. Be who I've called you to be where you are. That's the new thing that he wants to do. You know what the new thing God wants to do is? He wants to make you new. He wants to make you whole. He wants to allow you to represent him with whomever you come in contact. It's even the mission statement of our church. We want to look up, see what God's doing. Lean into whatever Christ has for us and live out our faith wherever the Spirit leads us. This is the story of Joseph. It's the story of Jacob. It's the story of Isaac. It's the story of Jesus. Time and time and time again, God wants to do the same thing, which is new. He wants to take what's old and make it new. He wants to make what's wrong and make it right. And who does he use? Us. Us. So are we going to be a people... Just as if people curse us, God will curse them. If they bless us, he will bless them. But he also says that who you curse will be cursed. Who you forgive will be forgiven. Who you bless will be blessed. Are we going to be a people that bless? Are we going to be a people that curse? Are we going to be a people that we offer grace to others? Or are we going to be a people that judge others? Are we going to be a people that play like grown-ups and hold grudges like the rest of our country? Or are we going to be people that forgive? Are we going to turn the other cheek and play for the, pray for those who persecute us? Or are we going to sit back and go, well, I wish it was like they used to be? It was never that way, folks, ever. Ever. What is going to happen is God's going to win. He's going to win in your lifetime. He's going to win in your family. 
He's going to win in your family's families. He's going to win in the next generation, the next one, and the next one, and the next one, until he comes back and makes all things new. And then the lion and lamb lay down together. And then disease is gone. Strife is gone. Envy is gone. Personal pride is gone. Injury is gone. Terrorism is gone. But look at how God has, what God has done. Look and see what God has done. The Egyptians, the pharaohs, they're gone. Israel's still around. The Assyrians that were gonna, and the Babylonians that were gonna destroy, they're gone. Now we got terrorists. They're gonna go. Who's gonna be around? Christ and his church. We will prevail. And you can choose to say, yes, Lord, no matter what might come. Or you can choose to say, I'm gonna stay back here where I kind of know how things go. What if Jacob and his family, when God said, go to Egypt, what if they said no? Now, God and his sovereign plan could have figured out another way to do it. But Jesus would not have come from their line because they would have starved and died. But instead, even though it was going to be a time of suffering that God had promised to his great grand to his grandfather, Jacob said, yes, Lord. Joseph said, yes, Lord. Later on, Moses says, Yes, Lord. What do you say? Yes, Lord. He is not afraid of what's going on in our culture. And whether it's going to get worse before he redeems it, or if he's going to call us back now, I have no idea. But I do know he's playing the long game. And I do know that he will not waste anything he's called you to be faithful in. Because he does not waste pain Nothing happens by accident, and God always keeps his promises, even if it takes 400 years to keep it. We are a people, we're individual persons and a people who claim to follow the God of the universe, who wants to show grace and mercy to all. Whether they accept it or reject it, God wants them to know, will we be a people that do our good works in such a way that other people see our good works and praise our Father in heaven? Or are they going to see us do our judgment, our anger, our bitterness, and our disappointment? If there's ever a time when the world needs people that have confidence and are fearless and return evil with kindness, it's now. That's the new thing God is doing, and it's the same new thing he's been doing from the beginning. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for Joseph's story, for Jacob's story, for Isaac's story, for Abram's story, for Noah's story, and Lord, even for Adam's story. And thank you for the story of the Exodus and the story of the prophets and the, and, and the kings and the judges. And thank you for the story of Jesus, who's just making wrong things right, going from darkness to light. That rescue mission is complete. Just help us have the courage and the humility to say, yes, Lord, we will not be afraid and we will go where you call us. In Jesus' name we pray this, amen. Those of you who are adults, I'm gonna ask you to watch. When you watch politics, when you watch the news, just, I don't care which, I'm not saying I don't care, of course I care, I want you to think of it the same way I do, but I'm not gonna speak to that. The other side are demons now. If you don't agree with me, you're evil. 
Now, why, so they got to make us afraid of the opposition. They got to make us afraid of other ideas. I'm not saying they're doing it, but it is the same technique the enemy has used. Oh, God just doesn't want to be like him. God's lying, nothing to be afraid of. You're not going to die. So just, just think and realize that God's people are to be a people of confidence, of mercy, and of grace. Because the old is gone, the new has come. We're to die to ourselves. I'm going to leave you with this little bitty illustration. Lynn was reading in one of her studies. This guy tells a story. The guy's like, you know, what, what happens when I die? What, 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 what? And he goes, go to the graveyard, and I want you to go, and I want you to curse the dead. So he goes out to the graveyard, and he curses the dead, curses the dead. He yells at the tombstones. Comes back, and he goes, well, did the dead respond? No, they're dead. He goes, okay, I want you to go praise the dead. He goes and he praises the dead. Comes back, do they respond? No, they're dead. He goes, then take no mind of the praises or the curses of man because you're dead. You're dead in Christ and alive again. The old is gone, the new has come. So folks, the only person you have to be concerned about praises or curses is Jesus. And he has washed you with his blood, made you new. If someone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old is gone, new has come. So take no mind of the words of man and hear the words of God. The Lord blesses you. He keeps you. He makes his face shine on you. He's gracious to you. He turns his countenance toward you. God smiles at you and he gives you peace. And if you want to receive that peace from God, respond with an amen. Amen. Go with and in the peace of Christ.